0: Listening to the best bits of the Breakfasters from Three Triple R.
1: Good morning, or good afternoon, or good evening, depending on when you're listening to this.
2: Hello, women. hello.
1: <laughs> this is the Breakfasters podcast for the week, sixth of May to the tenth of May, also known as Jeff Sparrow's last ever week as a Breakfaster. Oh. Yes, last ever podcast.
3: Never really known who listens to this podcast, but if you're one of those people, well, thanks for listening.
1: Thanks for listening.
2: What can you listen to today? Lots of things. So, this week, uh,
1: many, many things. I went on a surfing adventure on the weekend and met some interesting characters along the way. So, we awesome have, have a chat about that. And also, jo- Joel Bray came in to talk about his. Uh, performance at Daddy, which he's going to be putting on as part of the Urban Boy Festival.
3: Yes, and our book reviewer and producer Elizabeth McCarthy talked about a sexy French novel Ooh la la. that she did not like one bit. Sacre bleu. <laughs>
4: Sorry. was <laughs> really good. Thanks.
3: Uh, and then we caught up with uh, one of the, the directors behind uh, a new production of Cloud Street that goes for five hours. So we chatted to her as well.
2: Get, you get dinner in between if you go for yeah, the five hour a show. One. Uh, also, we talked about our um, our first crushes and how embarrassing they were and quite traumatic in some occasions. Uh, and also, we got to chat to uh, Dr Darren O'Donovan, um, who is a law academic, um, about the robo-debt. Um, and also, we had a chat about stepping up, even when you're not capable of stepping up.
3: That's what I've been doing for three and a half years. Three triple R.
2: Sarah, you went away on the weekend, had a lovely. Went down the surf coast. So Andrew and I don't. Anglesea, is that where you went?
1: Yeah, that area. Yeah, so Bells Beach, Anglesea, along there. And we. It was Andrew's birthday during the week. So this was a present to him. Uh, Happy birthday, Andrew. Yes, happy birthday. Didn't tell anyone about it. Anyway, That's I, big, I, I didn't, want to, make it. didn't want to making a deal. Which yeah. is yeah. totally fine. I understand that. So we, but we went away and we didn't have a lot of money. We didn't have a lot of money at the moment because we're saving, we we're going on a holiday mm. overseas. Uh, so we were we're penny pinching, and we decided to get a last minute Airbnb, and we found one. Oh, now people are texting me. Yeah. I'm yeah, going no, to keep looking.
2: I've got to close the computer. Yes, yeah, there we go. All right, okay.
1: Um, <laughs> closing it right up. Oh, Jeff, I can't wait. <laughs> We decided to get a last-minute Airbnb with a limited amount of money and we found this place, right, that was like a surf shack, this tiny little surf shack. Amazing. Super cheap. Uh, The descriptions said it had like a view of the ocean and stuff as well. It was kind of hard to get a hold of whether it was part of – like, I could tell that it was part of – some on someone's property so that they lived there, but the description was a little bit elusive. So I was kind of – Are you in the house or are you in the shack
2: next to the house? And, like, I
1: knew the toilet and the – I could see the toilet was separate to the house. Mm. Yeah. So it was. we weren't really sure what we were signing up to, but it had really good reviews. It was kind of aimed at surfers. It kind of said this is a place you want to go. Like, and the description was very, very, you know, hey, I'm a surfer – yeah. Um, the, You know, very laid-back description. It wasn't all, you know, some Airbnb ones are very professional. This was yes. very personalised. It wasn't written in surfer talk, was it? A little, a little bit, maybe, yeah. Oh.
2: But you know how to talk. But you know know it. I to speak the lingo now, so... <laughs> <laughs> Shuckers.
1: Uh, but, 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 you know, when you, so usually when you sign up to Airbnb, I'm so used to it being... It's so business-like now that usually you go send you a little message and then immediately the person yeah, yeah. replies yep. and then they give you all these details. We sent, we sign and we could take Ralph, which was great as well. We could have our dog at the place. And I just messaged going, hey, can't wait to come down, like just double checking that yeah. our dog's okay because he's a greyhound and it seemed like there were some animals on the property but it was hard for me to tell. Yeah. But we didn't hear anything for like 48 oh. hours. And I began to flip out a little bit because I thought, "What? what is this? Even though it had good reviews and everything was fine, I just was like, oh, this is something's gone wrong. Oh, My yeah. brain always goes to... Yes,
2: we know. Yeah, okay.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Andrew was like, calm down. It's Not some setup. where you're going <laughs> to <laughs> yes. be okay. It's like the
4: Stone Postel. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
1: totally, right? He's like, we spent 200 bucks. It's okay. Uh, but eventually... You know, um, I should. I don't want to use his name in case he doesn't. You know, but anyway, the, the dude replies and he's just like, "No worries, see you then." <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, all right, well, that's, I'm comforted yep. by that. Clearly, just a very laid-back, it seems. Surfer yeah. musician. So we get on Friday night, but it's kind of in the bushy part. Of that, you know how you can get it gets quite bushy in that yep. coast. So we are going down some dark side roads and it's very, very dark. And we were listening to Woody on the Cave, actually. It would have been like 6.30 by the time yeah. we got there. And he was playing this really intense bracket of like friggin' spooky jazz or something. It was like <laughs> it was really intense, and we we're driving down these like roads that were kind of bumpy and all we could see was the headlights in front of us. And I just turned around to Andrew and I'm like I know that we're okay, but this is the start of a this is the start of a murder film. Yeah. Like everything that was happening was the start of a murder film and he's like, Shut I don't worry about it. But then I checked my messages and um the guy who ran the Airbnb had messaged me by that stage and sent me some like shakas and some lightning Bolts?
2: Oh, yeah. So I thought, like, oh, ah, that's
1: not murdery. No. Yeah. Unless no. it's a complicated double game. Oh, that's yeah. what I was
2: like, what do these <laughs> lightning
1: bolts yeah. mean in this? Uh, a, I'm going to
3: electrocute you. <laughs> yeah.
1: but we tried to find the property. It was really dark. And then we kind of found this property and then started driving down this gravel driveway. And there was not a great deal of lights on. We couldn't see much. And honestly, then a figure just emerged in the dark in the driveway Really, kind of ominously, just standing yeah. there, and then I said to Andrew, "I'm like, maybe we should reverse now." <laughs> and he said, "Nah, you'd be right." Uh, and then we got there, and it was this lovely guy holding a beer, like in his thongs, had been for a surf, and was what? having a Friday night beer.
2: That's a, was that it's... reassuring or not reassuring?
1: Well, I nothing's ever reassuring <laughs> for me. Like I'm never a hundred percent reassured.
2: But so can like, I? I think the character... What a great character for a horror film. Like the oh. the person that you least expect. Yeah, You know? It's like a yeah. surf
1: coast wolf creek, isn't it? Well, yeah. that's where my brain had gone. Thank you. Yes. Yeah.
2: Watch out for those lightning bolts. That kind of thing, you know? Has nah. that a bit of
1: water from the top end? Yeah.
2: You're all right. Come on. Come in. Have a beer. Oh have God. a beer. Oh. Sit down. Relax. Relax, you been on the road for long? Stop it. How long you been Stop on the road it, for? Like Welcome it. to my beach shack Already in the a every... cup of tea? <laughs> Stop it. Have a cup of tea and a bicky. Relax. Why what are you worried about? Yeah, Shuckers. That... <laughs> now I'm like... gonna murder you. <laughs> I'm going to murder you in the we middle like of the night.
1: <laughs> oh shit. Anyway, he ended up being a really nice man
2: <laughs> and uh we
1: had a lovely little was a lovely little surf shack and uh we hey, had, you and late. had a cool little fire in it. And it was lovely. And Ralph got in there. And, and when we woke up, awesome. we realised the property was quite big. There seemed to be some other people staying on the property. There was little animals oh. running around, some
2: chickens. Oh, some how was dogs. Ralph with the chickens? He yeah, didn't seem to care.
1: Really? Yeah,
2: surprising. There you go. Yeah. Oh. Anyway, it was beautiful. What, is, what was he like with the murderer guy? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a nice dog you got there. <laughs> what a beautiful little doggo. <laughs> Hello, doggo. What's your name? Ralph. Mm. <laughs> I'm gonna eat you. (laughs) Okay, he was a really.
5: Triple R, not for everyone, for anyone.
3: is a show on at the Arts House from the 8th to the 12th of May. It's part of the Boy Festival, a free program of more than 40 live pop-up events. Its writer and performer is Joel Bray. He's joining us now. Welcome to Breakfasters. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming in. This is part of the Boy Festival, as I said. How would you describe that festival to those who haven't heard of it?
6: Uh, the festival is Australia's premier First Nations arts festivals. Um, it incorporates... Um, Performances and visual arts work from Indigenous artists not only from Australia but also from and New Zealand, um Canada, uh, Taiwan, and um the US. Uh and it's massive. This is yes. the second iteration. The first one was two years ago. Actually, I was living overseas and I came back, I moved back in time exactly to see to be a part of the first um iteration of the festival two years ago, and this is the second one and it's It's bigger than Ben-Hur. It's massive.
3: As you said, it is huge and the website is um, amazing. But your show in particular has an awesome description. Let me read this out. Adult themes, explicit sexual content, (laughs) strobe lighting and low lighting. The work uses confectionery including copious amounts of powdered sugar. Explain what is happening.
4: (laughs)
6: Um, So the work that I make is immersive, interactive, autobiographical dance theatre. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> Got all that out. Um, uh, so uh, I'm really interested in my work, in all of my work. I, I'm really interested in how we can create a, um, a kind of a spontaneous or instant community in the performance space. Rather than the audience sitting and just watching me, we do stuff together.
2: Did you do once do a show in a hotel room?
6: I did, yeah. Yes, yeah. I remember this. Biladerong, yeah. that, was, that was the first work I made when I moved back to Australia. Yeah.
2: Um, and That's it, intimate.
6: That's very intimate. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, that was 20 people in a hotel room. Um, Champagne and hand massages were included. And this one is 60 people in a larger space. But it's actually, in a way, just rolling out the same principle of what I was doing in Baladarang.
1: Do you find that people, when you're performing a work like that, where you want that intimacy, do you find that there's a moment, or is there a period of time where the audience is quite uncomfortable? Or does everyone kind of come quite open-minded? Uh,
6: I think that's my job. My job is yeah. to craft the work in such a way that everyone feels that, you know, because when the audience walks into the space, they don't really know what's about to happen, right? Mm. So it's my job to, yeah, craft that whole maybe third, first third of the work to make sure that they're feeling comfortable and um, it's kind of understanding what the codes are, what the, what the, the quote-unquote rules are. There's no rules, but, like, yeah. you know, yeah. how how this is working um, and just also being really charming and lovely. <laughs> Which you
4: are. <laughs>
3: <laughs> okay, so it's so a one-person show, primarily dance, but with conversation and yeah. audience participation. Is, would that be a description? That's the perfect description. I,
6: I weave together storytelling and um, and dance. Um, I've, I've worked for a, a number of years with um, Anouk Van Dyke at Chunky Move, um, and it was with her that I just kind of discovered my voice in a way. I'd always been a dancer-dancer, you know. Mm. Um, And working with her, I discovered um, that actually I kind of like talking on stage as well. (laughs) In fact, you can hardly kind of shut me up. (laughs) Um, And so the work I make kind of surfs between spoken monologues that can be either poetic or conversational. And at some point, you've said everything you can and the body takes over. And then at some point, the words come back in. So it kind of surfs from one to the other.
3: Okay. And what does daddy
6: represent in this performance um so daddy uh it's a, it's kind of a few things daddy is the intersection of a few different things one is my relationship with my father um who is Wiradjuri so my indigenous cultural identity is through my father um and he has his own life story of trauma from his childhood and this work is really timely i think with everything that's been happening with um george pell um the royal commission um, the Michael Jackson documentary. Mm. So it's looking at the history of child sexual abuse in my family um, and and it's autobiographical, so I'm actually in a lot of ways talking about what effect that has had on me as the child of someone, as the child of someone who suffered child sexual assault. Um, and that leads into talking about sex, about um, the men I have sex with, why do I have sex with some men um, and... I kind of yeah, I go down this little, I go down the rabbit hole a little bit of um, looking at um, what what is this all about? Like all this sex that I've been having.
2: How do you tackle such a deep subject? Like, like it, that seems like how do you, you know, get that across to an audience and still make them comfortable?
6: Um. By really clearly placing it that this is my story, yeah, um, and um, just being really open and honest and vulnerable.
2: Do you use humour at all? A or? lot. Yeah. Okay. And okay. so that's
6: the third <laughs> element of this show is sugar. That's why there's oh, the warning for yes. confectionery. Right. So sugar, sugar, um, because I'm looking at childhood. A lot of the work is about childhood and about the. Idealized or the fetishized child, so um, we're using sugar and confectionery. So when you walk into the space, everything is made out of fairy floss. <gasps>
4: awesome.
6: Um, and can you eat it? Uh, you can eat it. Oh,
4: <laughs> Jeff, you shouldn't go. <laughs>
6: um, and fairy floss is disgusting, right? It's like it is disgusting. It's that kind of super sickly sweet, and so I think that kind of like that kind of sugar rush you get. You know, when you think it's a great idea, I'm going to eat this half half a bag of lollies, yeah. and then five minutes later you regret it. I think um, there's. I think sex can be a lot like that
1: sometimes. Yes. Um yes. It is like fairy floss. That's a very good analogy. <laughs>
4: um,
3: so you're talking about your own childhood. I read uh, you grew up in a white Pentecostal Christian household. Did you always know about your indigenous heritage, or was it something you discovered later?
6: Yeah, I always knew. I would. I spent every second weekend with my dad, living in Redfern. Um, and actually that's one of the things that the work deals with because I'm, ta- I'm talking about my relationship with my father. So, yeah, I, I knew about it, but I would say I felt very, very disconnected from it. Um, and that's one, of th- that's one of the things I delve into is this kind of, like, now as an adult, I wish I had known to ask questions when I was younger. I don't know any of my dreaming stories. I don't know any of my dances or my songs or my language. And now as an adult, that's the cavity, to continue mm. the metaphor, like that's the thing I'm trying to feel all the time um, in my life and seeking and yearning for.
1: Your wire says that your choreographic um, practice springs from your ray heritage. Then, so how does that? How do you do that?
6: Um, I do it in the in the form of the work that I make. So I'm. I'm, I, it always makes me giggle. I hear all these um, uh, white fellow artists going, oh, we've discovered this, these new things, durational work and site-specific work and um, audience interactive work. And I giggle because actually we've been doing that for over 60,000 years. Yeah. We just called it ceremony. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's the basic format that I want to continue working with and continuing to explore is how to um, tease out the mechanics of um, traditional ceremony and make performance in that way.
3: Mm. How welcoming has gay culture in Australia been of indigeneity? Is that still an issue that's being worked through?
6: I think so. Um, I think um, I think they have. I think the gay community in Australia is welcoming of Indigenous people. Though I don't necessarily think that a lot of people fathom the particular difficulties of growing up black and queer mm. um, in this country, and that's been one of the really nice things for me moving to Melbourne is, um, really finding a community of other um, Indigenous gay men and lesbians and people in the queer community um, because it is a very specific way to grow up, you know. Mm.
3: All right, the show is Daddy. It's on at the Arts House from the 8th to the 12th of May. As I said, it's part of the Urimboy Festival and there's more than 40 pop-up live events. So jump on the website. Um, you can go and see Daddy. You can go and see lots of other events as well. We've been talking to the writer and performer, Joel Bray. Thanks so much for coming. Thank Thank you. <laughs> Talk books here on is with Elizabeth McCarthy back from the Sydney Writers Festival and here to talk about sex.
0: Thank you, Jeff. Hello, Woo-hoo. hello, Jeff. Hello, Geraldine. Hi, Sarah. Hello, Elizabeth. Hello. Yes. Now, I'm going to be um, reviewing a dirty little number called Adele by Leela <laughs> Slamani. He's sassing it up for Jeff and, last um, <laughs> week. I do need to give a warning. I don't... I personally think that um, anyone under 16 should probably be listening to the radio right now. So if you have anyone under 16 around, you might want to turn it off. Um, so let me tell you about this. I don't know what this, to do now. <laughs> <laughs> let me tell you about this grotty little number called Adele. Um, so the year is 2011. Adele is in her 30s. She's married with a child. She lives a comfortable life in Paris. She works as a journalist covering Tunisia for a French newspaper. She has creature comforts, an ostensibly happy marriage, a small circle of friends, but she is bored as hell. So bored. So bored and so addicted to sex. Sex that is generally with married men. For her, it's all about the hunt and the grope. So you might read this novel as some kind of grand statement about the tedium of being affluent and having a great job and a fairly good marriage and family and friends and how that package isn't enough to satisfy. And, you know, sure, that scenario has traction and there are novels going way back that have explored that from... I mean, Madame Bovary springs to mind Flaubert's ex- exploration of a deeply dissatisfied woman and how she was having affairs. So this is... Um, it's, it's a fairly familiar kind of trope. The problem with Adele, <clears throat> the character, not the novel, the problem with Adele the character is that while there's a lot going on downstairs there's not a lot going on upstairs ah. and the word bird brain sprung to mind a lot when <laughs> i read this novel you know god knows how she is keeping her job as a journalist. She barely seems to work. Um, <laughs> God knows why. She's, she's also working on a piece on the conflicts in... Tunisia. In, in Tunisia. Mm. Now, she doesn't appear to be interested in anything except for getting the next route. So I, I really Get think the next I, route. I think that some people That's will a literary term, is it? <laughs> it's the French term. <laughs> it's, it's the, the route. T- yes. <laughs> well this is the thing. So I think some people will think this is sophisticated erotica because it's French. And there's absolutely a market for this novel and there's long been this idea in films and books and popular culture in the West that the French know how to do sex, that they bring a sophistication and a dynamism to sex that the rest of us lack.
2: Well, if anyone can report on Tunisia and get a
0: root at the same time,
2: it's the French.
0: So, and and others, others will like this novel because of the, of the idea of the female sex addict who ruins marriages and will stop at nothing to get what she wants. And for some people that archetype is deeply naughty and, you know, utterly alluring. Um, so I think that, that, that if any of those scenarios are your thing then I need to tell you that the sex that she's having with this, these men is hard and fast and not particularly titillating for the reader. So, weirdly, she doesn't seem to be climaxing. Um, usually when usually that is where sex addicts get their relief. Um, yeah. They don't get relief from any other single thing in life except for... The Hunt and the Climax. Apparently, so I hear. Yeah. Um, well, well, I <laughs> know. <laughs> oh, so Adele, Adele, Adele doesn't appear to be climaxing. She seems to be getting some relief from when she initially grabs at a man, but that's about it. Jesus. Um, and gra- yet, and grabs <laughs> at a man. And yet this this book is actually... Well written. I couldn't stop reading um, because of the very oc- economic way that Leela Slimani writes this book and and I couldn't wait to find out what Adele gets up to next and is there any more depth to the... Is there any depth at all to this person? Um, and will she get fired? Will her husband find out? Will she have a mind-blowing orgasm at last? Um, <laughs> no, this is, this is what kept me reading this 200-page novel. Um, there's, one, there's one scene where her husband has an accident and he's laid up in hospital few, for a few days and, you know, never one to miss an opportunity for a sex romp, Adele invites a couple of blokes over and an episode of consensual sexual violence ensues. Now, it's, this particular episode is not graphically described and basically Adele barely cares that she can hardly walk the next morning. If you're not wired that way, reading the aftermath of consensual sexual violence is really hard-going. But, you know, I guess it's Adele, and she asked for it, and, you know, whatever gets you through the night. Okay. um... Is there any sort of suggestion that there's any kind of
3: I don't know, like satirical aspect? I, I did read one review where it's compared with with Hulebeck, you know, and he's got that kind of flatness yeah, running yeah. through his novels. That it's, I can't stand that. I can't. Stand I can't his stand
4: his books. it either.
0: Um, no, no, I don't think it's satire. I, I just I think it's um, it's a portrait of a woman who's a bit of a bird brain and who loves sex and nothing will satisfy. Mm -hmm. Um, There's a few um, parts where her childhood is described. So growing up, all she wanted was to be looked at. That's all she wanted. And she appears to have never grown out of that, right? So she's not a particularly mature person. Um, For some reason, she has a couple of friends. For some reason, she has a husband who... Adores her. Their marriage is quite sexless, and so part of me is reading this thinking if the sex was better in their marriage, would she still have these urges? I have no idea. Um, They don't kind of give a more like. Is there any
1: hint that they talk about, say, like sex addiction as something that is a serious addiction in any way? There's no moralising. Okay.
0: No moralising, no. no, sort of like you know, this is a problem. You know, poor Adele. She really has to deal with this stuff. Yeah, this no. is a true addiction. This is a not at all. That grows
1: from something. A, something. No, no, yeah. it's more
0: just. Um, it's more just kind of written about. So this is her second novel, isn't it? And this. So her first
3: novel published in France, but the second novel translated in English after her. Mm. After her second novel became a huge english hit is
0: that, that that's the first story? novel called lullaby yeah was apparently excellent i haven't read it um you know lots of good reviews about that and so and then they dug
3: up this earlier one and republished it is that right
0: i don't know yes i think that's that right. is is that right? what that yeah. I, I, I don't know um yeah
3: so maybe is it like sort of the work of a younger novelist who's still yet no. to find no like i
0: actually the, the writing is actually quite sophisticated the my main issue is that Adele has no kind of depth and um, and I guess if I was like in my 20s I would find this kind of like exciting or something but I'm in my 40s and I find this really kind of banal and um, you know we've all, if you're in your 40s you've probably dealt or you've known some sex addicts in your life, you've known people who kind of you know break up marriages and stuff like that and you just kind of roll your eyes and you know, it it's just seems so adolescent. Yes. Doesn't mm-hmm. it? Yes. As you get older. Sure. But it's written in a, you know, it's quite a sophisticated um, novel and, but it's not particularly interesting and it's because the character isn't particularly interesting. I honestly, like the fact that she's made her a journalist and not just sort of a lifestyle journalist but an actual political journalist mm. is just mind-boggling. <laughs> like. She, <laughs> Adele comes across as if she's never read a newspaper in her life.
4: It's, uh...
1: And it's not a sexy romp. You don't read it and go... La-la. <laughs> no, you
4: know? there's no la And that's
0: because I think... Because the sex is not um, described in great detail either. Right. Because it is hard and fast. Um, so, yeah, it just kind of happens. And then, you know, she leaves and, um, you know goes back to writing a couple of words on her article in Tunisia and then, <laughs> well, that, that, mine. <laughs> that was the always thing, yes. the wine. That was always
3: the thing about watching Sex and the City, if you were someone who worked in the media, wasn't it? Thinking, like, this person who sort of banks out the occasional column and lives
1: in this, like, <laughs> amazing... B- on Manhattan. <laughs> yeah, yes. yeah. But the thing...
0: W- about the Sex and the City women. And, yes, I, I would go through phases with Sex and the City. I do still love watching old episodes, but you do go through those phases of thinking, all these women care about is, you know, is men and sex. Like, they have these great careers, but their conversation is all about men. They are still boy crazy, at, even at their age. But to me, Sex and the City is rescued because of, you know, the wit and, um, and the playfulness of the whole... Um, show, mm-hmm. but this is um, th- there's no kind of wit in this, or no, um, no, I, no I couldn't, couldn't play, help but wonders. Yep. Yeah, just anyway. a few roots. Okay, that's right. So, um, <laughs> yes. Yeah, so I don't, I don't really want to put people off reading the novel. Oh no, I... I think you. <laughs> I think there's quite a few people that are well into it now. I, I, I think it's, uh, you know, it's probably, read the first 50 pages, stand in your local bookshop and read the first 20 pages oh. and if you like that, oh. you'll, you'll probably like the rest of it. It's it's a really quick read. It's like 208 pages or something. Yeah. Yeah, it's a quickie. <laughs> All right, the
3: book is Adele by, how am I pronouncing it? Leela Slimani? Yes. Slimani? Thank you so much, Elizabeth Picardi, for that review. I'll
0: see you on Friday. See
3: you on Friday. Three, Triple R. You're tuned to Breakfasters here on Triple R. Cloud Street is an adaptation of Tim Winton's much-loved novel. It's running at the Malt House Theatre, opening on this Saturday and running till the sixteenth of June. To tell us all about it, we're joined by the associate director, Kat Osborne. Welcome to Breakfasters.
7: Thank you so much for having me.
3: This book is a classic, uh, very widely read. First adapted to the stage by Nick Inright and Justin Monjo in the late nineteen nineties. What made you decide to stage it again?
7: Well, it's such an epic tale and it's actually um, a little bit like theatre um, history, a piece of our theatre Australian history. Um, I was... 10 years old in the night in 99 when it was put on so I didn't get the opportunity to see it um but it's definitely um a story that has captured the imagination of all different types of Australians and um I think uh, like the director Matt Lutton also grew up in Perth and so did I so it is a story about Perth for those people who haven't read it before um and yeah I think it just seemed really relevant now to bring it back 20 years later this it's five-hour epic Uh, tale um, about belonging and what it really is to live in this country now it's a story of two families who have very different belief systems trying to live together in this old house that in itself has this has its own history um so yeah i think that's what really captured um the malt house's interest in it and it's also a co-production with black swan state theater company which is the perth theater company as well so that's
2: yeah
3: as you say, an epic production running for five hours. What sort of t- directorial challenges does that present, like keeping an audience interest for that amount of time? Yeah,
7: well, it actually... Um it goes along at quite a cracking pace there's 102 scenes in the production Whoa. and some of them uh, you know sort of happen within a minute and some of them go for a lot longer so one of the main challenges is how to tell the sprawling uh tale it goes across 20 years as well so you know the parents and the children they all age and grow um during this time and to keep um a sense of flow uh, within lots of little short scenes, which feel a little bit more filmic at points as well, and like how do you do that on stage um, in a dynamic way? There are multiple settings as well, so there's in the house, there's at the river. Uh, so, so creating the design for the show has been a real challenge as well as well. Uh, like, what is the space that this story takes place in? And um yeah, so, the, yeah, there have been a lot of challenges with rehearsing for 10 weeks because it's such okay. a long process and it's a cast of 12, so... Yeah, I what does that... Sorry, uh,
2: what does that rehearsal look like? Do you tackle, like, a you know each scene like you know in chronological order or do you just kind of go let's concentrate on this one we'll get this one right and then we'll move
7: on to the next one yeah we have been doing it in chronological order um but we've had um multiple rehearsal rooms going at the same time so matt lutton the director has been rehearsing on things and then i've been rehearsing on other scenes at the same time so we've sort of been tackling it simultaneously and then going back to the start and, you know, running sections and <sighs> detailing bits. So, yeah, it's been it's been really great, actually, a great process. Full
1: on, though. I mean, the, so the production has, has happened before. There has been um, a play in an opera of Cloud Street as well. Was Tim Winton involved... Anywhere along the line Or is he still involved In this production in any way Or is it totally hands off he Yeah
7: he's quite hands off yeah. With most of his adaptations I believe yeah. um, But he's coming to opening night Which is oh, very great. exciting oh.
1: you, do, you, um, is that, do you get nervous To go up and say What, do you, um, what did you think
7: Tim? <laughs> Matt, yeah I guess so I think um I think he and he realizes that it's it's quite a difficult play to stage as well. And I think he's just excited that someone's willing to do it again 20 years yeah. later because it was quite a, a big thing to adapt it in the first place. Um so it is really exciting that um you know a new generation of people get to see it on stage. Um yeah, and you know I studied it in high school, um, yeah, so in Year Twelve same. about 15 years ago. So it's pretty exciting to get to work <laughs> on it in a professional capacity. Um, and it was very strange when we got to certain scenes, like I already you know knew the lines because yeah. you'd done all the scene work anyway.
3: It's often presented as a sort of quintessential exploration of Australian identity. In his notes on the production, though Matt Lutton says this is not the story of Australia. What yeah. does he mean?
7: I, I think. Um, what he means by that I think is that it's it 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 shouldn't he he doesn't want it to be read as like this is Australia now or this represents all of Australia I think is what he means by that you know it's it's a specific story about two working class families in a specific time I think I think where we are elevating uh the part of the story which is about the uh indigenous history of the house uh there's a, a lot of we've added some noongar language which is um the first nations people of perth and there's some first nations people in the show as the, the storyteller characters um so i think i think it still does grapple with things that we are grappling with as a society now in terms of a sense of belonging and sort of living on a um a, a land that uh, has suffered trauma um But, yeah, I think he just... uh, Yeah, I think that's my explanation for
3: that. Uh, The novel was written in 1991. A lot has changed since then. Going back to read it again when you're putting this together, has it dated at all? Are there sort of issues that you think, gosh, you know, you wouldn't express it like that or...?
7: Yeah, I think... I think... uh the, the adapter Justin has. We've updated it a little bit to sort of overcome that that feeling, um, but I think at, at its core, it's it's still a family drama. It's about growing up. It's about relationship between mother and son, and trying to find a place in the world. And I think those are universal themes mm-hmm. that I think people can connect to. And in reading the book, a lot of people connect to different different parts of the story. You know, when I was a teenager reading it, I really connected to the story of Rose Pickles. You know, she was a teenage girl and. And her trying to find her place, wanting to run away from home and then finding her place back at home. And, um, yeah, I think there's a lot in it for, for, for different people. Uh,
3: this is an extraordinary cast. Who's in it and where might we know them from?
7: Uh, so Tash Herbert uh, is a regular. She's playing Dolly. She's a regular on the MTC stage and also in Malthus Productions. Same thing with Greg Stone. He's playing Lester Lamb. Um Ali White, who has been in a lot of things as well. She was in the film Dressmaker. Um, Brenna Harding from Puber- Puberty Blues, um, well known, and also The Bleeding Tree recently at Griffin. Uh, yeah, she's playing Rose Pickles. Um, yeah, so there's there's a whole there's a whole range of people that. Um, uh, audiences will have seen around the place. There's also a great contingent of West Australians in the show as well that people may not have seen but may be interested yeah. to get to
2: know. There is a couple of different ways you can go and see the show because mm. it is very long. Yes. How do we do it?
7: So there's two versions. We, one is called the Cloud Street Experience, which is yep. the whole five hour version. Which you know, in buying ticket, you get a meal break as well, so you can spend meal included, meal included, oh. ticket price. Oh. Yes, um, and that's selling really well. So if anyone's keen on doing the the whole the whole thing Make in a one day, hit, of it. yes, yeah, exactly. Fun. Yeah. I think so too. And I think you know that sort of experience, um, epic theatre. They just uh, Sydney Theatre Company with the Harp in the South recently had a similar sort of thing and I think it's a great opportunity to yeah really immerse yourself with a group of people it's like binging Netflix on a Sunday really you yeah. know yeah. episodes, sticking with some characters seeing where they get to that's a great way of doing it but also the, uh, the other way of doing it is it's in two parts so you can come uh on one uh, on a Thursday night and then come back on Friday night for part one and two so if you're a little bit time pouring you want to see Does it, it end in on two. a cliffhanger
2: and then you have to wait yes Amazing.
7: <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, that's what we've tried to do anyway. So, yeah, there, there's multiple ways of accessing it for, you know, whatever you're you're up for. But, yeah, I would recommend doing the experience if you can.
3: All right. The show is Cloud Street. It's on at the Malthouse. Opens on Saturday. Runs till the 16th of June. Jump on the website for the various ticketing options. We've been talking to the Associate Director, Kat Osborne. Thanks so much for
2: coming in.
7: Thanks so much.
8: Three. Triple.
2: you are listening to breakfast <laughs> oh my God, what... just talking about boring stuff uh, boring stuff
1: but we're really up about yeah. it. Yes.
2: <laughs> let's talk about fun stuff like yeah. tell us about your first crush and what embarrassing things you did to try and oh. get them to get them to notice you, or, uh, do you i don't know if oh. i can
1: talk about first crush it's funny. so i was talking to a friend recently about not necessarily first... First class is a kind of primary school things, but how mm. awkward of a teenager I was. Yeah. So but excruciating. You wouldn't even... It, when it came to guys, I just could not... Mm. I was friends with boys, but if it came to kind of dating and, and things like that, I could not handle it. I, I would... I If a guy would even... I could, didn't even know if a guy was trying to ask me out or not. I didn't think... Yes. You know, I just wasn't the kind of girl that thought that guys were asking her out. So when they were... I never really got the drift. And when they would when I would try to interact with a guy that I had a crush on, I would be one of the, I was one of those people who'd go just beetroot red, I'd shake. I've just never been good at it. It was so I was so, such an awkward teenager. So oh, all give of,
2: me, give us one example. Okay. So
1: actually a friend reminded me about this the other day. I worked at a supermarket chain, like a food work supermarket in Burwood for a while mm-hmm. when I was probably 15, 16 or sixteen years old. And I don't even know if I should tell this story. It's too, I, I, it's feel, so under, I feel, I feel like, sort of vaguely ill thinking just, about this oh, whole, yeah. this I, I feel like you block out of this part of your life for a reason. Do you want me to start? Do you, well, he was, sorry, 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 there was a guy that used to come come into the supermarket. Mm-hmm. So I went to an all-Catholic all-girls school. I used to hang yes. out with guys who were my mates, but, you know, crushes were a different thing. Yes. And there was a guy that used to come through every week and he was the apprentice at the local butchers.
2: Oh, okay. Hot. Oh, yeah, Hot, yep. hot
1: right? <laughs> so we called him Butcher Boy. Yep. Anyway. Yeah, fair I, enough. Yeah, that was his name. Descriptive. I, th- I thought he was really cute uh, and that was about it. I don't even know why I thought Butcher Boy was cute. I can't remember now. But every time he'd come through on the Saturday when I worked, I think there was like a vibe, but I wouldn't know because I was so yeah, weird was and awkward. There was a vibe. You thought there was yeah. a vibe. There was a vibe. Okay. Yeah, probably, maybe not. Maybe it was all in my head. <laughs> you should try to get but, his butchers right oh, down. No, he'd do his, he'd buy, buy his one thing every week. And I used to get so nervous that i remember he would i'd have to give him change and i couldn't put my i couldn't give him the change with my hand cuz i'd shake so much so i used to have to just put, push the change onto the counter oh. every time i served him like i just have to put it on the and yeah, push it towards you want to him use
2: that as an opportunity to touch, to touch because his hand? i couldn't handle touching
1: yeah. i couldn't even handle him talking to me and he'd come through and i'd just be so red and try to talk to him about normal things but i what, couldn't handle what was handle he like it. to
2: you I see her. How's it going? I don't even think he knew my name. Oh, yeah, no. Everybody no. knows no. now. become know the psychotic surfer
9: wolf. Wolf, I don't know.
1: wolf Creek man. That's the only character I've oh, got. It <laughs> no, was just kind of, not you know, how are you going? And, you know, I think we're, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it was all in my head. But I had a crush on this guy for so long and nothing ever happened. And then I was at a party at a friend's house around the corner, mm. like an 18th or something. It was an old, my sister's friend's party. And this guy... Butcher, turns boy, was Butcher there. boy turns up, and I just went, What the? What are the chances of Butcher Boy being here? And, and how, was how many... the old spark still there? Yeah, well, this was still, this is when the crust was happening. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So like, this was, I was, and, uh, and uh, I remember, and then a friend of mine knew it was Butcher Boy, and she was like, you got to dance near him. So go and try and dance near him.
4: Oh. So then I, oh
2: no. <laughs> so like, I keep going. I just think
1: <laughs> I remember standing in my friend's backyard in a circle you know how you dance when you're young you'd stand in a yes. circle yeah and you and you just kind Sway of shuffle around <laughs> yeah like, like a zombie after yeah. the apocalypse. actually like the zombie dance and so i remember standing in a circle and kind of just swaying around and then him kind of swaying up next to me and then us just kind of dancing next to each other like getting kind of like Closer, closer and, and yeah. closer. And then him kind of smiling and me smiling, but neither Ooh, of us doing anything. Yes. Right. And I remember seeing my friend looking at me from across the across the backyard, like with her thumbs up, going, <laughs> Do You're doing well. Know, just shuffle closer, Sarah. And so as we, we shuffled towards one another, but then out of nowhere, another friend of mine kind of comes in and cuts between oh. us. Okay. And I get really confused. I don't know what's going on. And she leans in and she's like, You can't, you cannot go near that guy. I kissed him a few weeks ago and I'm really interested in him.
2: Oh, Oh. heartbreak. I
1: know. Heartbreak, right? And of course, yeah. And so then I went, Oh, I just couldn't believe it. Are they married now? No. I don't even know. I don't even know. She kissed him. And then I just shuffled off into the corner, shuffled away. (laughs) Backwards shuffle to my friend. And I said, It's over. it's over and I can still remember that whole I just remember thinking looking back on that and go the 10 months of intense emotions I felt about that from the beginning of the crush to the end of the crush and my inability to ever actually talk to this person and I just can't I was, yeah. It, it makes me feel sick now to my stomach about how awkward I was with crushes.
3: Yes. I, you know, f- I feel sick. <laughs> on should no I have behalf. not shared that story? No, <laughs> no, 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 no. It's just, I, I can remember. Oh,
2: so many people would relate to that. Oh, for sure. the worst. Tell us yours. Yeah, now you're going to share a bad crush oh, story. So I,
3: similar kind of thing. I can barely even speak about this because it just <laughs> makes, me,
1: <laughs> it makes, it makes me feel it's so. A trauma Wednesday. Uh,
3: so yes, I so. Oh,
1: <laughs> oh, my God, what are we doing? It's like a therapy session. No,
3: I, I, I can remember writing a poem. No!
2: <laughs> <laughs> yep, keep going.
3: Writing a poem for someone. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and one of and the,
2: what age are we talking about? Yeah. High school? Oh, yeah,
3: or? very Like early high school. Early high school, early high school. Oh, yeah. Oh. Where you sort of knew that, you know, like... You start sort of starting to become interested in yes. the other sex, didn't really know yeah. what, how, what that meant. What to do with all what those to emotions do or anything, and being very bookish. Yes, I thought this would be a romantic gesture, and it was one of those poems where the letters spelt something out. Acrostic, yeah, it was oh. acrostic. Yes, that's what, my favourite poem <laughs> so, of all.
1: Sophisticated, <laughs>
3: literally, literally, literally flourish, and I can remember leaving this. For the person... What was
1: the person's name? I'm not going to go into the person... Oh, I pers- said Butcher Boy. You said what?
3: I oh. was, was Butcher Girl.
2: Beautiful. Understanding. Anyway,
3: I could... I, I summoned up the courage to actually leave it, you know, for somewhere where they would find it, like mm. on their desk... And then after that, I, I just could not be in the same place as them ever. Again. And they
2: never approached you about it. Well, I don't
3: know because I just avoided them. Out thereafter, because well, you I left
2: the school. <laughs>
3: <laughs> it's just so one of these things. Even now, that just even thinking about that person just makes me feel slightly oh, ill. So they
2: they didn't approach you. They, they never didn't. said anything.
3: No, 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 no. Because it was did you like, leave your I, name I s- on
2: it.
1: They knew it was yeah, you. Yeah, they would have known that it was. He
2: wrote from Jeffrey. J is for <laughs> joyful. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Mine. Uh, <laughs> oh, kill me now. <laughs> you
9: wrote oh, God. A poem. That's
2: we lovely. That is really out of nice. Everything. Like, oh, no. I wrote a poem. Uh, like, it,
1: oh. oh, I think that's a nice. It's nice. Do you know it what I, a, I did? Oh, yes, please. All right.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So, so many. So, this is. Let's go back to, to primary school. Yeah. Um, and there was. Uh, I feel
1: like these are less embarrassing. Yeah, this primary is, a, this school is an innocent stories.
2: time. Teenage is the. But, okay. All right. Okay, but year year six. So, oh, okay, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and there was the, like there was these two twins that were very popular. Um, and some obviously some people thought that one was more attractive than the other. Oh. <laughs> we had twins, and that <laughs> yeah, was the same thing. Yeah, like right. oh no, so and so is heaps better than so and so. Um, and then I was like, yeah, no, I think I'd um. I'd like to date one. And then I kind of came to a compromise to them. And I remember approaching one of them on a Friday afternoon and just um, oh, <laughs> saying, do Will you go out with me, oh. but just for a week? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just for a week? Yeah, just give it. Like I was just like, just, just <laughs> for a week. You just mean, just not, just not, <laughs> not having tickets on yourself. Yeah. Being, uh, not, not being ambitious. Yeah yeah yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. So it was just like, oh, let's just well, do What did they a week. say? Uh,. I think they said no. But also I what have... What do you mean? I have memories of um, maybe one of them asking me out. No, it wasn't one of the twins. It was some other popular, one of the popular guys asking me <gasps> out. And me being like, oh, okay, yeah, sure. And just being over the moon about it. Because one of the popular kids had asked me out. But then I found out later that they just did it Don't as a joke. Don't say it was a
1: joke. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. Oh, this has been the most. This is too traumatic.
3: Three, triple, ah. You're tuned to Breakfasters here on Triple R. The Department of Human Services has just dropped a debt raised against a Melbourne woman who is challenging the Coalition's robo debt program in the federal court. To talk about what all of that means, we're joined on the phone by Darren O'Donovan, a senior lecturer from La Trobe Law School. Welcome to Breakfasters.
5: Thanks. Thanks. Well, good morning from Bundura <laughs> <laughs> So,
3: for those who don't know, what is the robo debt program and how does it work?
5: So RoboDot starts when the department sucks down your tax return from the uh, ATO and they divide it by 26 and then they walk it over to your existing income reporting and if they find a difference, they then send you a letter and ask you to prove your income and that you haven't been overpaid. Now, what this averaging and this data match can be compared to is the frog DNA in Jurassic Park, (laughs) (laughs) okay? It's It's a very complex system, but that's the real danger. And this case was long awaited, two years. Uh, It's well chosen. Uh, We have published scholarships supporting it, um, which seems to, you know, it argues basically that in this particular area of Social Security law, they're placing too high a burden on people to work with calculations that are not probative of the person's circumstances. Because if I say to you, do you work evenly across the year? That's a key robo-deck question, because the way you, if you average someone's income, you're assuming that they work neat, regular hours throughout the year. But I would say most, so many of your listeners... They work part-time. They work sporadically. They're studying like my students. They can't get regular work. And then they have multiple jobs. And that seems to lie at the heart of this particular zero debt. And there have been so many zero debts. There are 70,000 in the system that have been zeroed. I, I, the numbers are amazing. I, I can give you the numbers. Of the I, I read a
3: piece from you where you said that in the early days of the program, you were being contacted by some of your students who were in an absolute state of desperation. Can you tell some of the stories mm. they were telling you about how this program was affecting them?
5: Well, again, obviously, absolutely no names, you know. Yeah. But I think the real difficulty is, and at the heart of this case is, people need to know where this is coming from and they need to know what they have to do. Um, and like, I've seen debts of 30,000. I've seen debts where people have worked for six employers and it's assumed that they work, they were working at the six places at the same time, which is rather heroic. And yeah. um, you know, there's some incredible things out there. And what really frustrates me as a, as a law academic is, there's a smarter, fairer, more accurate way of doing this. Like, you, we're taking this noisy data We're lumping it over the tennis net at people with limited resources. Um, And I think that's the real distress because my students were studying for their exams and the first thing I would tell them is, you you know, you can get more time. And I have to, you know, you you kind of, there's so many, you know, I think what we need to be, we need to be person-centered in the way we deliver decisions. And we need to focus on the individual. And the old system used to go and get information from the employer. It didn't get people online uploading JPEGs onto a website, but they have placed the onus on ordinary people with limited resources with a whole lot of potential vulnerabilities and misunderstandings, and it's not efficient.
1: Yeah, I've had. I mean, I've spoken about this a lot on this show because I've had so many friends affected by this, and uh, the, a lot of them are, uh, just kind of don't know what to do. They've been told that they have this debt. They told they have to prove that they don't have this debt, but they're not provided with any means to do that. Uh, I've, I've read a lot about this, and and it seems to see it seems to be that the legal the legal consensus is that placing the burden of debt of proof of debt on the welfare recipient isn't isn't legal, that seems to be the consensus, But and we've got this case that's going to mm. um, the courts at the moment. Can, can you just talk about that, where we are legally with robo debt at the moment and what this case might do for that?
5: So it's, uh, the key, one of the things that you need to be very careful with is you need to distinguish between the letter that people receive, which says, go online, and there's usually a figure on it, if you don't do something, this debt is coming. Yes. And an awful lot of people treat that as the debt, But they need to stay calm. They need to take their time. They need to seek out information. The debt is not necessarily issued. In this case, this person was was in a payment plan, so the debt was raised. So here, when the debt is raised, the focus was very much around getting that final answer for people saying, when can they use this averaging data? What can they demand from you? And unfortunately, the department had a look at their file, the file they put their name to, and they seem to have zeroed the debt, which just embodies the issue. And can I just say as well, I know it's very patronizing of me as a privileged lecturer to come on and say to your listeners, fight. You know, it's incredibly hard. But when you get to the end of the process, you have appeal rights, you have review rights. Keep saying the word review. Eventually, you get to an independent voice. When people get to an independent voice in the tribunal, we are seeing high levels of settlement, just like we saw, well, just like what we saw in the court, you know? It's not an isolated example, certainly.
3: And so, what is the implications of this case then? I mean, is it possible that this whole program might fall over legally?
5: Like, so, like, I'm a, this area is administrative law, okay? If you ever wondered who your university lecturer called a nerd, it's <laughs> us, okay? <laughs> um, so, it's incredibly technical and it's incredibly difficult. And it it has always been my sense that this campaign is about a little bit of law a little bit of economics because i passionately believe that chasing this complex has got contractors all over it it's got it's totally inefficient and the costings are starting to show us so like this i i think it's very difficult to knock it out at the level of system particularly after what happens where they've zeroed the debt the case is still ongoing um, we now have to decide if it's futile, if the point of principle is one that the government will consent to be, to be heard by the court or whether Peter Hanks QC, who has led the legal op- opposition to this, whether he can show the court that what is happening is something it should take up. And the thing that frightens me is how many people are repaying these without questioning them. I've chased that across all these technical documents. The best answer I can give is there are 150,000 people with debts which that have been repaid without a formal review. Now, those files, see, there's a, with Centrelink, it's always magic words. They do offer you a reassessment if you come up with new documentation. But the problem is the original decision. So the review hits the original decision. So you need to say the magic word, review. Uh, which is useful for your listeners, you know?
1: Mm. Yep. so uh, what would you recommend to people who are facing this at the moment? I've got a friend who received the letter that raised the debt a month ago. They were mm-hmm. told that they don't believe that this debt exists, but they've been sent a bunch of papers that don't make any sense to them and numbers that don't make any sense to them, and they've been told the only way that they can um, proceed from here, other than accepting the debt and going into a payment plan, or uh, not paying the debt and having debt collectors set on them would be to send them five years worth of pay slips or their uh, bank details, and then Centrelink will go through those and they will they will reconsider mm-hmm. the debt. Is that the case? Is that the right process? Or is there something else that people can do if they're facing a a, a, a debt letter? Because from everything that you're saying, it sounds like that most of these debts are being halved or are at least being um, you know put back to zero. When they well, are it's funny,
5: to do. well, it's funny, right? There's 450,000 of these. In the, tri- in the last level of the tribunal, the last level of appeal, we've gotten to 88. 85 have been settled. Oh. <laughs> so, like, if you follow it all the way through, but it's an incredibly difficult process. Now, that's from the Senate data, by the way, in case the department's wondering where I got that from. Um, so, when we, when we look at what this person can do, the first thing is get help. So there's the Not My Debt website. There's our community legal centers. So obviously you can call the Victorian Legal Aid Helpline, particularly when it's a debt. It's the Victorian Legal Helpline, you can call them. You've got the National Social Security Rights Network. And if you ever want to be depressed about the state of the Australian welfare system, Google the National Social Security Rights Network, scroll down and look at the opening hours for those underfunded heroes. Because those are the people who are used to dealing with the ADEX file, which is what you're talking about, what your friend has probably got is their ADEX file. And, like, I deal with these things all the time. It's, as I say, I'm, I'm a ridiculous nerd, right? They're incredibly difficult. Someone's earned income under the law is incredibly difficult to clarify. We just need to just slow down. The system is ramping up. It's getting faster. We need to slow down. We need to talk about accuracy and the balance of evidence. And B, talk about the decisions, not just the system and -hmm. the business process.
3: And just very quickly, we have about one minute left. But are you surprised this hasn't become more of an issue at the election? I mean, this seems uh, a scheme that's totally out of control, but it doesn't seem to be registering in the political debate.
5: Well, I think the, the real issue here is that to talk to you today, like I'm anxious as I talk to you because I have to use my words very carefully in a precise way. I have to say formal review in relation to that 150,000 people who've paid it without formal review, because this department watches the media. It emails journalists very regularly, policing the semantics around this issue. But at the heart of this issue is exactly what Sarah described. It's exactly the people who need help, who don't know where this came from, And they just want a bit of reassurance that this debt was actually real. And I think we can all, whether it's in a court or politics, we can surely deliver that. Surely.
4: Mm.
3: Thank you so much. Um, We'll be talking to Darren O'Donovan, a senior lecturer at the La Trobe Law School about the robo-debt program. I'm sure we have more discussion of that. Thank you so much for your time. No worries. Thanks. (laughs)
5: Triple R, not for everyone, for anyone.
2: I think there are two types of people in this world. Oh, yes. Those that, you know, if you're in a situation and someone needs to step up, there's those that will step up. Yep. And those that know that they are completely unqualified (laughs) to step up. (laughs) There's those people that go, no, I've got this, I can do this. And those that can't. Jeff, you've got a um a prime example of someone that did step up even though probably that, shouldn't have
3: <laughs> No, this is in North Carolina, um a baseball competition between the high point rockers and the sugarland skeeters. Americans always
2: have
1: best names for their Skeeters is such an American word. What does it even mean? What's a skeeter? Don't know Mosquito? mosquito. I don't know. Anyway, they
3: were going to do their baseball game and, you know, because it's America, they always have to have someone coming out to sing the national anthem. It's a boat. Oh, okay. All right. So, um, (laughs) but their singer was sick and (laughs) the he couldn't
2: do it. We need someone to (laughs) sing the national anthem. We
3: need someone. So they got one of their um, employees to step up and um, have a go. And And were um,
2: they qualified to do it, do you think?
1: No, they were not. Why are they not? Oh, you got to! you gonna play it. I'm mm. gonna play it. Oh, bloody awesome!
9: Early light, who's right. Let me hear you, people! Please, that is so bright, beaming, and the oh, the. <laughs> Oh, the ramparts we <laughs> were so gallantly streaming, <gasps> and the rockets blare, the bombs bursting in air. He's giving it a pretty good go. I want to keep listening to this. that our flag was still there. Oh, say does that star- It's really coming into it now. <laughs> Damn, now. yet play <laughs> O'er the <laughs> land <laughs> of the free And the home <laughs> of the brave Let's play ball! <laughs> um, the,
3: oh, my God. The video's pretty great, too, because he just does look like an employee who's just tendered.
1: do you know where did they come from? Did
2: they just pick him out of the crowd?
1: Well, they said that they had
3: a very quick audition to find someone to do
2: it. Wow! So he's the I reckon he is a karaoke king, right? Totally, because he he knows how to. He's he can hold a tune. He can sing. I think that other than a bit of wobble in his voice at the start, he can absolutely sing. But also, can he? I th-
3: I think so. Well uh, he was claiming he was cramping up. Because oh. it was overheating. But how's about this? They put the team put out a press release saying unfortunately uh they, they explained that uh the performer volunteered to fill in on short notice following a last-minute audition. Yeah, so he's
2: a karaoke king. He's used to going up there and you know being able to sing along to a song and seeing the lyrics there. And you know he knows how to work a crowd. Come on, everybody! Yes, but there's no for- lyrics there, and it threw him. Yeah, he clearly forgets the word. But how's about
3: the last-minute audition? I bet they just someone from the you know from the team management said, "You, you, and you, can you sing a yeah. couple of notes?" Out you go. Anyway, they put out a press release saying. <laughs> Unfortunately, due to a combination of factors, the rendition was not up to organisational standards. Oh <laughs> say, the High Point Rockers regret the incident and apologise to any and all
1: Americans.
2: Oh, yeah, Americans take
1: that stuff so seriously.
2: <laughs> but also, how hard is it just to plug in the amp to Spotify? I and know, and just play a yeah. version
1: off, the, off Spotify. Oh, you know, I actually ended up singing at a concert, high school concert once. For this, this exact same thing happened to me, what but uh, happened. I was playing ruin. It was for the kind of inter. What were they called? Like inter sports. Oh yeah, in, inter school athletics. Yeah, yeah, but it was musician. It was the music one. Oh, oh no,
2: rockstedford kind of.
1: Yeah, and so you'd have like blue team, whatever our blue team was called, versus yeah. red team, and we had to do. We did put on this musical. We had to write your own kind of slash musical, and I was playing one of the lead characters that was um, Fonzie, but Fonzie. In Greece. It was very confusing. Okay. Fonzie in Greece? Yeah, so like I was playing the Fonz, but in it there was going to be a Greece rendition, oh, like a, okay. few, yes. a few Greece songs. Right. There was yeah. also a Beatles song. I you meant like ancient Greece? Oh, no. Strange. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Cross generic. He
4: goes back into <laughs> like, like a toga or that'd something. That'd be so
1: good. You'd actually see that would have been an episode of Happy Days. Yeah. <laughs> hey, I'm here. Um, And so I, I was playing Fonzie, and at the last minute, I was just meant to kind of do some acting with. In this sandy role, oh, and kind no. of be like, "Hey, I'm the Fonz and do some silly things on stage." And then at the last minute, well, about a week out from it, they said, "Oh, we've t- been told that we need to have more singing because we don't have enough singing in it. So you're going to have to perform. You're the one that I want with the person oh, that's playing." No. But the, the person who was playing my, I don't know why it was Sandy and Fonzie, not Sandy and Danny. But anyway, who was playing the woman to my Fonzie? She also couldn't sing. But they just said, "Well, you're just going to have to do it." And I went, "All oh, right, I'll be fine." I in can't my head, you I thought. Did that. Yeah, in front of the entire school. Oh, and right. I just said to them, so it got to the day and I said to them, just turn up, you're the one, just turn it up loud so you can't hear us singing too much over it. But it was... And they didn't turn it up um, loud enough? No, it was so that. Like it got to the... You know how hard it is to sing a, You're the One That I Want? No, I don't really it. know. Try and sing. No the chills, they're They're multiplying. multiplying. And, and I'm losing control. control. I'm tone-deaf.
2: I'm not even like I'm, t- I'm t- tone t- deaf. I think we all just proved yeah, that. Yeah, I think you just got that.
1: And I had to in, in front of the entire school, we were singing this, and I had, we had this whole choreography, and I had to keep going out of the side of my mouth. Turn it up!
4: Turn it up! Turn it up!
3: <laughs> so did you have a moment where you just thought, this is not gonna work?
1: This is not, not gonna work. Do you know well. what happened? Halfway through, I went. F this and I just got off my, ripped off my leather jacket and like threw it into the so audience. You sell it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I just embraced it. And then by the end of it, I was like, you know what, you know what?
9: You know what? It was horrible.
1: But Did I just know, thought, whatever. And I got, part, I got, I got, that's... we came last, but I got a special mention from the judges for my say,
2: enthusiasm. See, that's what it, all it takes, you've just got to sell it. Yeah. The, 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 one of the best, <laughs> just seems so unlucky. <laughs> yeah. <Is it> really? <laughs> yeah. One of the, the, Best karaoke um, performances I've ever seen was from this woman who absolutely could not sing... And, and sang Jackie. You remember that? Jack, Jack, Jack Jackie. But Jackie she had when the. We'll
1: touch his mask, oh, so man.
2: She clearly knew all the words and she danced. And even she had this long hair and then she would just whip her hair around <laughs> in circles. And it was the most amazing thing that I've ever seen. So it's all about selling it. Well, you
3: know? here's the thing, too. This has got a happy ending, Aww. this story, because mm-hmm. voice, numerous voice coaches <laughs> have reached out to the <laughs> performer and offered their services. And they're saying that they're going to have him back at the end of the twenty nineteen season to have
2: another go. Some some people absolutely <laughs> cannot sing, and some people. I reckon this guy, you know, he's got, got it in there. Yeah, like me. Just, yeah, it's just just a bit nervous. Got to you know let it out.
3: Perhaps they can get him to dress up as the Fonz when he
2: comes. <laughs> out. Why don't you sing us sing us out, Jess? Sing us out! I'm not singing you out. I don't Come have to on, do
1: you it. You to sing us out, on. The You're the one that You're I want. want. Oh, you are. Oh, the oh. Oh. <laughs> Triple R. You are listening to the Breakfasters with Sarah, Geraldine, and Jeff for his very last ever broadcast of the Breakfasters live from the Northcote Social Club. Uh, how are you feeling, Jeff? Uh, a bit overwhelmed. Yeah. To be
3: honest. But He's um, very it's very nervous. To be here. He yeah, doesn't
2: know what to do. No, Lots of, very anxious. But it, that's understandable. Well, I'm
3: anxious because it's my last show. But I'm also anxious because it's a substantial variation from the routine that we've been used to. Yeah, and we isn't all it? know you don't like a break no, in routine. That's <laughs> <laughs> <So, laughs>
1: it's, it's uh, what you know. Everything should be the same all the time. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so it's not just us today. that we've got who's
2: coming along. Uh, we've got a big bunch of guests coming in today. Uh, Elizabeth McCarthy and Michelle Bennett are here. Our two producers. Yes. Uh, they're going to give us the ins and outs of what it's actually like to work with you on the other side. On the other great. side. Mm. Uh, Dr Jen's coming in for a very special weird science related to... Touching people. Yeah. Great. <laughs> Sounds great. Laura Dunneman has written a play. Cannot wait. She. I saw her last night and she told me a bit about it and... Oh, we are all in for a treat. <laughs> and also, Casey Bonetto's gonna pop in, and I think he's gonna, he might have written a song for you. Yes. Yeah, and just, um, and group hugs whenever you want them. Just, that's what's happening. Gotta hug it out. Mm. What
1: else is good? All, oh, I was gonna say, all the songs you play back are gonna, gonna be good because I selected
3: them. But what is also good is we are now joined by our two book reviewers current Breakfasters producer, Elizabeth McCarthy, and former Breakfasters producer. Michelle Bennett. Good, Good
0: morning. morning. Good morning. Good morning. Hey. Hello. It's lovely to be here for your
10: farewell Jeff. It so is. nice of you both to get up so early. And it was yes. lovely to be there for your uh, debut on breakfast too. Oh. Mm. All those years ago. All those you, years ago. Um,
2: maybe let's start with when was tell us about the time you first met Jeff. Do you remember?
0: I first met Jeff uh, when I had a meeting with him about his show Hullabaloo, which uh, started six years ago on air. And I walked into this meeting room at Triple R and um, I thought, who is this awkward, twitchy man? <laughs> <laughs> and what, does, what kind of show does he want to do on Triple R? An awkward, twitchy <laughs> show. And, uh... Good description of Hullabaloo
3: it was an awkward, twitchy show.
0: And it took, uh, it took Jeff and I a year of working together to work out what Hullabaloo was. And um, and then it sort of hit its straps and, and got going. But that was the first time I met oh, that you. That
10: was a year of radio before it hit its straps. <laughs> <laughs> I was
0: trying the, to work out what's going. Who was the right? manager at that stage?
10: How did that go? Blue
3: was kind of the leftover show when all of the other morning shows did their the thing. The
10: more successful morning shows did their thing.
3: <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> yeah. we, we picked up the all the stuff
0: focused.
10: that nobody else wanted to do. <laughs> when did you first meet I, um, I, Jeff? I can't, it, you know, it's just not memorable to me when no. I first <laughs> met Jeff. <did you? laughs> like, but, like, it I would be years ago, like, it would be years and years ago at some, you know, something a hoity-toity book thing or something. Yeah, the think, hoity-toity yeah. book things Sorry, I just can't remember. I, you, um, you both worked with Jeff, though, in different capacities and in the exact
1: same capacity. Can you give us a little insight on what it's like to work with Jeff on the other side of this? Because where you know what it's like behind the scenes.
10: No, he's, very, he's good. He's, yeah, he's yeah, That's
4: a relationship. Oh, yeah. well, I was doing producing
10: he's good. with Sam Pang. And so I was Sam Pang's producer. I remember the last time that he was on air, I went through my inbox to see exactly how many emails he had responded to in terms of setting up interviews and it was two. He oh. had, uh, uh, his whole time. And I think, Jeff, you responded to everything. Yes, and look Absolutely. where
3: Sam Pang has gone on to. Yes.
10: <laughs>
4: he's making a lot of money.
10: And I see you Uh, I like the Ah. description of um, that you are uh, leaving to spend more time focusing on your writing, not like your family or something. Or your cat.
4: (laughs) You know, (laughs) we am selfish. I
11: don't
3: know, that... Announcement I put on Twitter was I was going to focus more time on unemployment <laughs>
10: <laughs> and your cash. Yes.
0: Yes. Hey, I think we should also um, give a round of applause for how incredible Jeff is as an interviewer. His interview skills are really extraordinary. So please put your hands together for all the great interviews that Jeff has done over the years. Right, that's, that's a bit. Weird. You can <laughs> tell. I think it's been really <laughs> highlighted now Just
2: because open up, <laughs> open it up, let the compliments yeah. in, mate. You've got to
0: accept the praise. I feel like yeah. it's being
1: highlighted now too because you're not leading these interviews today. Mm. Yeah. And it's just gonna be it. A- yeah, it's quite bad. It's, quite bad. It? Yeah.
10: <laughs> it's like what? Well, it's 18 minutes in. And <laughs> oh, it's come on down to a- the North Club. <laughs> It's a long three
0: hours. The thing oh. that kills me is that I think if Jeff had have stayed on for a couple more years, he'd be his interview skills would get to the level that both Michelle Bennett and mine are at. And Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, so I see what three you did. Us there. women, we have 50 years of broadcasting experience, <laughs> Jeff, Jesus to share God. with you and to teach you even more. And I get the feeling that when I see Jeff now, like, you know, wave to him on the tram or pass him on the street, I'm just going to think... When he's busking of, for money. <laughs>
4: <laughs> a I'm bridge just going to think of all
0: that untapped potential, Jeff. <laughs> it makes me very sad that you're leaving right now. It, it feels like a waste.
3: Right. OK, yeah. well... So that's
1: a
0: downer.
4: OK, right.
1: well, you got a, what's a, gonna, I feel like you've got to say something good.
0: About Jeff, before you go. Okay, I've got yes. a poem. I wrote a poem oh, last time. Yes. This is a well known literary nothing. figure.
1: He's <laughs> an acrostic. Uh, this,
0: <laughs> this poem is called Ode to Jeff Sparrow, a White Male Broadcaster. <laughs> a white male broadcaster is leaving Triple R and he is not throwing a tantrum.
4: <laughs>
0: That's my
3: poem. Oh, Hang on, we've still, got, we've still got two and a half hours, so give me, give, give me time. i saving it up for 8.55. Now the few things I want to say.
10: I didn't prepare a poem, sorry. I prepared nothing because the producer didn't tell me to prepare yeah. anything. Standards sorry. are slipping
1: on R. That's
10: all right. Well, no, um, But I, I will miss your awkward hugs because I think that was a very apt description in the in the Facebook post. You, have, you are a man who has very awkward hugs. Mm. Yes. Very, very. We
0: have awkward. Dr Jen coming on to talk about why Jeff is allergic to hugs <laughs> and what science has to say about that in about an hour. So well, that should be great. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. great.
3: <laughs> Thanks so much for both of you coming on. Thanks so much for all the hard work you guys have done at Triple both as producers and... Um, as book reviewers, as well. We haven't really touched and Jeff, on that at and, no, and, and friends.
4: friends. <laughs> and friends.
10: And friends.
3: <laughs> it's been lovely working with both of you. No, and I look great. forward
1: to doing stuff with you in the
3: future.
10: Oh, oh no, I'm going be Fantastic. Be, this is it. I'm out the door now. I never <laughs> see you again.
1: <laughs> I also begin. I feel, it's beginning to feel a bit like a funeral. So I feel like we've got to move away from All right. eulogy into celebrating your life.
4: Yeah. That, that is still going. That's the same thing <laughs>
1: as yeah, eulogy. Exactly. You've got a few years left. <laughs> All right. OK. Thank you very much. <laughs>
3: Three. Triple. Ah!
1: Someone else has just turned up.
3: Yes, talking about fantastic people. It's oh. time for Weird Science Without the Theme, which is a bit sad, but nevertheless... Didn't we they ha-
12: tell you, Jeff, you have to sing it. <laughs> yeah, Jazz is dancing, you'll sing it. Go ahead.
3: That's not going to happen. Thank okay, <laughs> you so, so much, Dr. Jen.
12: Why are you thanking me when I've been asked to come
4: and rubbish you? All right.
12: (laughs) All right. So um, your your lovely co-host put in a very special request that this should be all about why you don't like touching anybody or hugging anybody. Yeah, it's gross. So I bought a couch. Can you see it just over there? I thought you could just lie right on down and we could psychoanalyse you for, you know, we've got a couple of hours, don't we? Yeah, sure. Yep, champagne right Perfect. So um, no, so I thought what we'd do is just talk about, Jeff, why touch is really important and why hugging is really good for you. Mm. How does that feel? Sure.
3: I just <laughs> think before we go too much in this, you guys should think about what it would be like if you were working with someone who insisted on hugging all of the guests and all of the other staff all the time. That would know, be, okay. That'd That'd
4: be awesome. Yeah. We'd love it. All right. All right.
3: Good
12: luck, Daniel. So, so Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> so, I want you to know that that your skin is actually your biggest organ. If you laid your skin out flat, it'd be about two meters square. It's right, quite a well. lot. So your skin's... Hopefully
3: I'll never lay my skin out.
12: (laughs) Well, we can probably do that for you if you like. But, no, skin's really important. So, you know, there's lots of evidence. There was this very um, distressing study done back in the 1950s where they had baby rhesus monkeys and they denied them access to a mother. Um, And then once the monkeys were really, you know, miserable, they then offered them two choices of a surrogate mother. One was just a wire model, but plenty of food... Jesus,
1: this is a dark (laughs) turn.
12: 1950s, guys. Yeah, so the wire model had um, one redeeming feature and that was that there was as much food and water as the baby monkeys wanted. The other option, there was no food and water at all, but the, the little pretend mother was soft and, and fluffy and the baby monkeys chose the soft and fluffy one. Oh, so they wow. gave up the chance to have food because they needed something that soft That is a very sad cuddle. and terrible story. Because well, you would have taken the monkey with the food. <laughs> So, so we know that premature babies, that premature babies, if they, um, all they need is 15 minutes a day of massage, um, and they leave hospital a week earlier. They put on double the amount of weight of other babies. Mm. So, you know, touch is touch is really important. But there's lots of intercultural differences. So there was a very famous study uh, done back in the 1960s where a guy looked at two um, two friends who were having a. a catch up in a cafe in all different countries in the world and he measured how many times those friends touched depending on what country they lived in unfortunately australia wasn't part which of which were study. the touchy countries well um in puerto rico friends touched each other on average 180 times in an hour Jeez, wow. wow very handsy country yeah in paris it was 110 times in an hour um in the us it was two times an hour <gasps> and in london it was zero oh. <laughs> of course it was <laughs> Wow! <gasps> so I don't know. Where do you think Australia would sit in, in there? In between the U.S. and England. Yeah, <laughs> Once. half a pound, yeah. Half there a touch.
4: To <laughs> That's our one touch.
12: <laughs> That's our one touch for the for the hour. To you know, like. Don't you find it though. creepy though
3: when people shake hands with you and, <clears throat> and just hold it slightly too long?
12: Well, it's not yeah, an but, aggressive thing, though. It is. Mm, yeah. But see, if they're a salesperson, it's because they've read the research that shows you're more likely to buy something from somebody if they've if they've touched you. So let's let's imagine I'm a car salesperson. Geez, mm-hmm. I'd be bad at that job. But let's just imagine I was. If I said, Jeff. It's a great car. You really should buy it. You're more likely. Well, you know, you're not Jeff, but any other <laughs> human being. It's more nobody likely what's a car salesman
4: to text hands
2: all Not like that. <laughs> <laughs> chilling, rubbing my arm. That was really upsetting.
12: <laughs> Just an aggressive <laughs> rub of my arm. Yeah. But no, there's lots of evidence. People who sell stuff—they just do a really nice, light, non-sexual, non aggressive touch. To buy your car, they go not rubbing up against you, were they? Well, well no, there's not think think Rubbing touching. up against you is not—it's <laughs> yeah. not the terminology I used. <laughs> there was no okay, rubbing well. up against. Just a against gentle anybody. touch mm. on the arm. Don't take this <laughs>
1: advice on board. <laughs> <laughs> just Maybe you go All to right. different shops. Okay, than I'll I go give you—I'll give
12: you another example. So we've got somebody lying in a in a. Um, uh, MRI machine, mm-hmm. and they've been told to expect this horrible blast of white noise that's going to be painful to their ears. Do you experiments? I didn't do the experiments, <laughs> mate. I'm just reading about them, telling about them. But if that person who's really stressed and waiting for something bad to happen, if their partner is just generally, you know, touching their hand or their arm, they don't get stressed about it at all. Their heart rate doesn't go up. They don't show any stress response to this expectation of something bad happening. What are they doing in the MRI? They're doing an experiment, mate. (laughs) All right, so let's talk about hugs, Jeff. This is why you need to hug. Hugs are important, okay? So if we establish now that touching is good
1: gentle stroking, not rubbing (laughs) up against people.
12: So so you know in Western culture we use hugs to say hello and to say goodbye and to express gratitude and but women do hug a lot more than men there's mm. no there's no question of that and the word hug Jeff you like this the oh. word hug is derived from uh, the Saxon and Teutonic words hog and hagen and it's beautiful it means to be tender of Aww. poor little monkeys oh we're not talking about the monkeys anymore but okay. <laughs> Let's talk about the fact that lots of people. This is the greatest insight into working with Jeff you'll ever get. I love working with you, yeah, Jeff. You're right. But no, there are a lot of people, Jeff. You are not alone. A lot of people don't like hugs. So
4: uncomfortable. <laughs>
12: But that's my deal. My yes, job is to know. make Jeff uncomfortable. Yes.
2: Isn't that oh, what I meant to it, do? It, this is peak yeah, uncomfortable for Jeff, though. Look at him, he it's can't sit quivering. still. He can't sit still,
12: and he has to have something to say every time you finish the sentence. <laughs> Jeff, I'm about, to ba- I'm about to make you feel better. Lots okay. of people don't like hugs. No. Well, You're not alone. The, do you want to know the main reason why people don't like hugs? Because it's creepy. No. <laughs> <laughs> Because they grew up not having lots of hugs. It's just Aww. not, just not, no, no, not in a bad way, but just you know, some families are much more demonstrative than others. And if you grow up getting hugged all the time, you're more likely to um, make that part of your personality traits and to go on and hug lots of people. If you didn't receive lots of hugs, it's just not part of your day-to-day habit. There's nothing bad about it. No, it's nothing that bad about it. It's just not part of what you do. But I'm here to tell you that more hugs would be good for you, Jeff. Can I tell you all the benefits of hugs? Sure. Yes. What are the
4: benefits? OK. <laughs>
12: um, you won't get as sick. It boosts your immune system. So they had a group of people, they um, kept a whole lot of data about health and they got hugged and then they exposed them, another bad experiment, exposed them to a virus
4: <laughs> to see if
12: they get sick or not, as Jez <laughs> coughs away. Um, if they'd had lots of hugs, they were less likely to get sick. So it boosted their immune system, it boosted their levels of oxytocin, which, you know, is the love hormone that makes us all feel good. Um, It uh, made them feel better after they fought. So next time you have a fight with your partner, none of this kiss and make up, it's hug and make up. If you hug... It gets rid of all the bad feelings about, you know, the fight that you've just had.
4: Ah.
12: But lots of health stuff, so it reduces blood pressure, reduces heart rate. There's lots of good evidence that hugging is actually very, very good for our health. But I have um, a very important last piece of information for you, Jeff. What's well, that? two pieces of information. One is that um, a Japanese research group has made a robot so that if you want the, the health benefits of hugs, but you don't want to actually have to hug a human well, being, you can better. hug the robot. Yeah, yeah. Are you, are you okay with hugging, hugging a robot? robot? That's <laughs> okay. Yeah Prefer that? I quite, quite like the sound of that. It's called the Senseroid. Okay. And you hug this robot, and because you're wearing this vest with all these pressure things, it gives you the sense of being hugged back. Sure. Yeah. Sounds terrific. But the other really important fact for you, Jeff, is that. Um, you know, greeting people is important. If you don't like hugging, you're not even into handshakes, the most hygienic form of greeting is a fist, fist bump. Oh, hey. Come on,
4: mate, give her a fist oh, bump, for
12: goodness sake! sake. <laughs> trying hard here, Jeff. <laughs> trying hard. That just epitomises the whole three and a half years of me trying
4: to we get had you had engaged. lots of problems,
12: It's <laughs> me trying my hardest to get Jeff to engage, and he's just like, hmm, mm.
1: hmm. Dr. Jeff, no. thank you so much for coming in today. To make, really to make Jeff really uncomfortable. uncomfortable. Oh, mate,
2: right? you have succeeded I better didn't... than we oh. could ever expect.
1: I've not <laughs> seen him twitch that much in a long time. Uh, any final words for <coughs> Jeff?
12: I'll miss you.
3: I'll miss you a lot. It's, it's and if did... been such a great segment for such long and I know a lot of um, listeners really love your segment and tune into it. And Thanks, I'm sure Jeff. you'll continue to do... Great work for many years to come, but it's been wonderful.
12: I'll do my best. And I was going to say, you know, if it wouldn't make him so uncomfortable, I'd give him a really big
4: hug right now. I think you should. I think that's how he's such a delight. right, have a big hug.
10: Three triple R.
2: Are you going to introduce our next guest? Sure. Um, Every... Not, well, okay. I thought, yeah, I just didn't know, you've introduced everybody else, I didn't know if you had one prepared, but um, could everyone please welcome our Friday funny bugger, Laura Dunnaman.
11: Thank you. <laughs> Thanks everybody. Thanks Jeff. Thank well. you Laura. I might cry at the
3: end. Aww. It's a bit sad, but um, it's so lovely for you to come on down.
11: Thank you, my pleasure. Well, Your my glass, <laughs> glasses are crooked.
4: <laughs>
3: One of the best things about doing this show is all the people that, um, that you meet.
11: All the pop-ins. All the pop-ins, yeah. and you
3: are one of the regular pop-ins I'm from ha- the very first year. You I'm happy to in. be a pop-in. Yes, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. quite the pop-in.
11: Um, one of the um,
2: the best things that you've done over the years is when you've written plays for us and you've yeah. made Jeff act.
11: Yes, yeah. Yeah. Oh. that's he's a real highlight. He's such a good vocal actor, isn't he? <laughs> yes, thank
4: you. <laughs> <laughs> Not much response from the crowd. <laughs> I feel I like think you so
3: have
11: brought a whole other side of Jeff out that I mm. never oh. would have known
1: existed.
3: Certainly, it was never in the job
11: description when. Doing this job. It's, I've found something deep inside of Jeff, a little spark of, of um, Hollywood... Yes, sure. (laughs) Maybe that's where he's going next. (laughs) Anyway, so um, Elizabeth, producer here, um, requested that I write a play today for Jeff. Right. So I've written a play and I just sent it to you guys. I haven't read it yet. They haven't read it yet, guys. Um, So I just thought I'd write something because, you know, often as listeners we don't get to see behind the scenes of a radio show, and you know, you mentioned a couple of weeks ago that you were resigning, and it all seemed very harmonious and you know, like, everyone was happy about it, be sad, rah, rah, rah. I just thought everyone deserves to see a behind-the-scenes glimpse of how it really went down. Oh. Yeah. So I've, I've written a play that depicts
9: that. Of course oh. you have. <laughs> Shit.
6: <laughs> um,
11: in terms of casting, I think it's going to be more... Um, easier for the listeners if you just each play yourself. Okay. Okay. Rather than swap And do that.
3: (laughs) Although that would be interesting too.
11: Um, I'll read the stage directions. Okay. And then there is an extra character that will pop in. Oh. i wonder who it is. (laughs) Um, I'll read that character. Okay. Great. Okay. Got you. Are we ready? Yes. Sure. Okay. It's called All Good Things dot dot dot. A short play by Laura Dunham. A short play by Laura Dunham. Okay. Already
3: the tension is there.
11: (laughs) Yeah. setting the scene. It's 5.45am. The Breakfasters are meeting before their daily morning radio show. No, I'm not break. there at
3: 845 <laughs> Don't
11: interrupt. i reading the stage directions, Jeff. Daily morning oh, radio show Jesus. Breakfasters <laughs> on community on. radio station. You're not supposed to read ahead. I, well, the sexual tension is through the roof. <laughs> 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 behind the scenes glimpse the team have been working three and a half years now and have never really told each other how they really feel so. hey. hey jeff
2: hey sarah hi geraldine how's it going jess pretty crummy actually i saw you two <laughs> kissing last night okay i was just gonna say that jeff's
1: wife no, 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 and, and his are here to the i'm script. sorry it's not okay. relevant right okay. <laughs> what where
2: in Sarah's car, outside Jeff's apartment. H- how did you know? I didn't, but now I know for certain that you oh. did kiss. The sexual tension oh. has been through the roof lately, and I've had enough of it. You two need to sort yourselves out. Well, what do I? What do you have to say for oh, yourselves? This
9: is Jesus, Laura. Laura!
2: <laughs> Keep going.
1: I love you, Sarah. <laughs> Even before I knew you, I loved you.
4: Oh,
10: <laughs> I... Uh,
1: I know Jeff, but I have commitment issues, and the truth is, Geraldine, I love you.
2: (laughs) I love you too, mate, but not like that. I'm into Jeff. What? Who wouldn't be? He's a catch. (laughs) He's got a constant supply of gin. He's so good at Twitter. He's fun to sit sit next to on a plane. In other words, he's a sexy communist.
3: (laughs) I can't argue with that.
2: And, of course, he's so affectionate. I love his hugs. He
3: never hugs me. Because I don't want to overstep what's appropriate in the workplace. True. I actually really love hugs, but I'm a man. And I need to make sure I respect my colleague's personal space.
2: What about my personal space? You hug
11: me. Yeah, I do. I love you, Jeff.
1: I love you, Sarah. I love you, Geraldine.
11: (laughs) At this moment, Friday funny bugger Laura Dunneman enters. She's looking effortlessly beautiful despite the early hour. <laughs> In fact, she's so stunning that it takes the breakfast as a whole 10 seconds to speak again as they admire her perfect hair and skin. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, Laura, what are
1: you doing here?
11: I'm here for my Friday funny bugger segment. It's Wednesday. Crap. Well, whether it's Friday or not, I'm glad I'm here to tell you that the sexual tension in this room is through the roof. (laughs) What are you going to do about it?
3: Well, I think I know what needs to happen. I'm going to resign.
1: No, No, Jeff. We we love love you. you We can't can't go go on without without you. you. Yes, you can. You'll go on without me. But don't leave just because you're in love with me.
3: (laughs) No, Sarah. I need to live my own life. I want to work on my writing. And also, I may have never told you this, but I'm actually in a committed relationship.
1: Well, so am
2: I. Well, me too, actually. <laughs>
3: so maybe we don't need to be in love with each other.
2: But, but we,
11: we still, still love you as, as our a friend, friend forever. <laughs>
3: <laughs> and I will always love you too as my friends forever.
11: And I love you forever too as my forever friends. Huh? What? Huh? What?
9: You still, you still here? here? It's Wednesday. It's Wednesday.
11: Wednesday. Go, Go away. The end. Yay! we were tying up loose ends. It's and you guys important. didn't have to be in love with each other. That was all true, by the way. That did actually happen. <laughs> barely a play because I just recorded it on my phone one morning and then transcribed it
4: on
11: my computer.
3: Well, I think we really tied up some loose ends there.
11: <laughs> now you can go and get on with your life.
3: Yes, that's what I'm to do. Hey, before we go though, before you go rather, I do have a loose end to tie up. I need Ooh. to apologise to you for coming to your comedy show... In 2018, (laughs) and accidentally getting the front front seat where I was like 30 (laughs) centimetres away from you, and then never knowing where to look the entire time. (laughs)
11: It was very (laughs) awkward. (laughs) (laughs) And it did throw me off a little bit, but I was actually, I remember that night, and I was actually really touched that you made the effort. So you're a very sweet man, Jeff. You're a man shrouded in secrecy and (laughs) darkness, but you're also. (laughs) But you're also very sweet and kind.
3: Is this part of the play?
11: Uh, yes. <laughs> no. no, but thank you, and I'll miss you. Oh, I'll miss you yeah. too. Laura and no one Dunham. will ever be able to fill your shoes, but we'll have someone equally as wonderful, but we'll still miss well, you. Well, Daniel mm. Burt
3: will be filling my shoes, and I'm sure he'll do a fantastic yeah. job. Yeah, oh, nice.
2: Thank oh, you, Laura thank gentlemen. You. Thank you.
5: Triple R, not for everyone, for anyone.
3: Our next guest is a man of many talents, <laughs> not, least of, not least of which is the presenter of the show that I always get Sarah to pronounce for us. Super flirty. <laughs> <laughs>
8: <laughs>
4: On Tuesday nights, so the one and only Casey Veneto.
8: How to see
10: you, Casey.
8: Hello, everyone. How lovely is it this morning? I've just been wandering around helping myself to little bits of croissants and coffee and uh, listening to the marvellous banter and watching Jeff... Uh, As if cornered um, between guests and (laughs) co-hosts, spending the entire time looking back and forward.
3: 45 minutes to go. uh, Being attacked with affection from every side. It's delightful. It's so delightful that you could come here. It's so nice to hear someone who knows how to use a microphone. Uh, After three and a half years, I never really got that skill. I don't know, I'm kind of talking
1: sideways on this one. (laughs) Yeah, Jeff's mic skills are still lacking. It's pretty extraordinary. I've never met a man who knows how to fade off mic (laughs) as well as Jeff does. Then back on again, but... You're doing a very good job, Casey. So. I have
8: spent some time at the Jeff Sparrow School.
1: Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no. uh, well, you have prepared something very special for Jeff today. Well,
8: what, let, let, let's not over-egg the pudding. Oh, very, no. special, <laughs> very special might be, uh, um, might be
1: yes. Quite average. Sort of mediocre.
3: <laughs> Fair to middling.
1: What is it? What have you done for Jeff?
8: All I can tell you is uh, it's An ode. An ode uh, to time.
9: Oh, it's a clock!
1: Time, the
8: most ungracious guest You hope it hangs about It's always running out Time Won't ever be at rest till every face is blurred and every voice unheard. So it's tricky not to think of it as bleak. That ruthlessly unsentimental streak. That drags you to the end of every week Then bolts ahead before you've said goodbye Jeff, the most ungracious host With every toast we pour He's halfway out the door Oh, Jeff He's just about to ghost Affection on display It's not the sparrow way And that's always been a part of his mystique That ruthlessly unsentimental streak But just now, he said, he's changing his technique. What he wants you all to do when he's face-to-face with you is hold him close and never let him go till time is standing still. Get right up in his grill Then you wrap your arms around him nice and slow Lyrics Deep in your embrace he will find a better place Just caring and sharing his personal and never let him go Jeff he used to be so deaf to all these faithful hearts that break as he departs oh Jeff he knows there's not much time left To let his love light show To let his feelings flow And like a coat that grows to fit the wearer He's draped around our mornings for so long He's warmed the hearts of Geraldine and Sarah. The connection is so strong. Ladies, how could it be wrong to hold him close and never let him go? And before he wanders free, just clean to Him and see if He might turn around and never leave the show. There'll be no discontents with the new presents. Jeff Sparrow explicitly gives his consent to hold him close and never let him go.
2: That was
3: quite something. You know, I remember last time you came on the show, it ended in in a hug as well, but it was nothing compared to
1: that. (laughs) I I honestly, I don't know, you could feel Jeff quivering just then. That was.
3: Oh, people wonder why I'm leaving the
1: show.
2: What a sight to behold.
1: (laughs) Oh, that was amazing. Case Benedetto, what a a great way to send off Jeff Sparrow. I can't thank you enough.
2: Oh, Oh. another big hug. Thank
3: you very much. Thank you, everyone.
2: Thanks, Casey.
5: You're listening to the best bits of The Breakfasters from 3RRR.